Hello everyone and welcome to our first of hopefully many Simply podcasts. Um, we are having a really interesting conversation today about working from home versus the office. So as you know, we've all been experienced working from home as a result of the COVID crisis and many of us for the first time. For some, it's been a very welcome change. The opportunity to ditch the commute, grab some flexibility and wear shorts all day. But for others, it's almost been a bereavement, really losing that social and collaborative um, and balance that made work work when we're, when we're seeing people and we're engaging with those around us. We spied a really interesting debate taking place over LinkedIn between Jonathan Phillips, our head of consultant, and Martin Perks, an independent digital workplace consultant and Simply Associate, to the virtual Simply Studio to hear more of the debate. Over to you, working from home or in the office? Well, as you can see with my bookshelf uh, behind me, I'm working from home and I have been uh, like many others uh, all the way through since the start of lockdown. Uh, but I think that, you know, what we're seeing right now is extraordinary circumstances and many people have dealt with COVID across the world in the right way, in a practical way. You know, working from home has been, for a lot of people, the only solution. But that's not to say um, that could be permanent or that the office is necessarily the right environment either. I think that COVID has been a brilliant sort of way to really sort of uh, somewhat polarise a debate that's been a long time coming, but equally to show up uh, work for what it has been. So I guess my point is I sit on the fence um, whether we can or cannot work from home. Um, you know, the office sitcom rightly ridiculed the office. Uh, David Brent uh, in his paper manufacturing outfit, you know, was that manager who tried to befriend, befriend the, befriend the workers uh, with horrible jokes and all the rest of it. And of course, they re rejected him and, and basically took the mick out of him at every opportunity. And I think that, you know, the office resonated so much with people because everyone felt similar situations as well. And now we've, you know, find ourselves where we are. And I think a lot of people, quite rightly, are, are relieved to get out of the office. Uh, I know somebody who didn't get on well with her manager and she felt it was a welcome break to not be in their orbit and work from home and have more space, uh, time to relax and concentrate and be productive. But that's not to say um, that uh, being out of the office is necessarily a good thing. I think it depends on what kind of work you're doing. As it happens, I think a lot of people don't particularly enjoy their work. They don't even find meaning in their work either. And so it's no surprise they want to escape the office. Their work is repetitive, boring, dare I say, unengaging. Uh, and actually, the solitude at home means that they can concentrate on more important things in their lives, perhaps walking their dog, sunshine, or the rest of it. But that's not to say, uh, you know, home life is good for everybody. The solitude can be good, but it can also be deeply uh, difficult in different circumstances. And I guess my point is that we need to be quite specific about what we mean by work and what we mean by where it can take place because i think technology can certainly help people but also it can present a lot of other problems especially businesses in the medium term because the problem i have is that 
Leadership can be quite difficult, but equally, uh, right now, we need a sense of purpose, uh, even to get people back to work. Um, cities are dying, towns and you know places are dying equally. And I think there is a real sort of imperative to kind of see if we can get people back to the office where, where necessary. Uh, and beyond that, to equally build a sense of culture and purpose around how to make sense of COVID, which is going to be obviously for a lot of people, unfortunately, a very, very harsh economic situation. And I think that one of the best ways to do that is where possible is to be in person with people because it's the best way to make sense of the world. Um, relationships, good or bad, uh, I think they're more easily understood when we're together uh, and also to form culture, which hopefully can be positive, or at least if it's not good, I think in person you have more of a chance to build solidarity, to make sense of it. I'm not saying that is impossible on the end of the screen, um, but I think sometimes um, we can make our lives a bit harder if we're not in the same room experiencing the same problems. So I'll, I'll leave it there for now. Great, thank you, Martin. Mm. We're going to come up and, and come back and have a conversation and I've got some questions for you. But Jonathan, where do you stand on this debate? Yeah, it, it you know, whenever I hear Martin speak, I find myself challenged as to whether my perspective is right or wrong. So thank you for your introduction, Martin. But uh, maybe I can give my, um, my two pennies worth from um, a position of someone who has habitually worked from home over the course of my career. So it could be as little as one day a week, currently, of course, five days a week, but I've always worked from home. And as a, as a result, I think I could launch into quite um, an acerbic denunciation of why the office doesn't really work. But um, allow me to kind of break down some, some particular points, I think, which I hope will be will be useful. The first for me is just about the routines of, of work and how wasteful they are in, in terms of productivity and also wasteful potentially in terms of the environment challenge. You know, we are all used to the idea of getting up, getting dressed, getting out of the house and commuting a certain distance and a certain amount of time to, to an office. And, you know, um, it is said that the average commute um, here in the UK, as we speak anyway, is an hour every day. Um, if you're in central London, if you're in southeast uh, England, that, that is up to an hour and 20 every single day. We can all do the maths. You know, that's a working day, roughly speaking, that we waste every day, every week, uh, just commuting to the office. And if we're able to convert some of that wasted time into productive output, we have a genuinely huge opportunity for the economy of this country. We also have that opportunity, of course, of removing the commute carbon footprint too. Um, I've been extremely pleased, as many of us have been over the last six months, with my commute, which is roughly speaking 26 steps from the coffee machine in my kitchen to the office in, uh, that I join you in today. Uh, so I'm wasting no time, I'm wasting no carbon, I'm wasting no money. And I am honestly converting a lot of that additional opportunity into productiveness. But Martin, you raise a, I think a really interesting point about um, that kind of human interaction. And forgive me, I, I, I sometimes get a tiny bit academic on this, but I was looking into this and just thinking, well, you know, what is this? 
there was a really interesting sociologist by the name of uh, Ray Oldenburg, and Oldenburg looked at and defined three places, and these will probably feel um, very familiar to us. He called the first place home. He called the second place the workplace. And he defined the third place as obviously being neither home nor work, but a kind of uh, set of environments where people just come together. Social spaces, cafes, churches, clubs, you name it. It's those other places. And, you know, that is where we as humans come together and we relate to each other. We are possibly at our most creative, our most innovative, but it's where we outside of the context of home and work, we, we come together and, uh, you know, learn from each other in a, in a rather unusual way. Um, it also follows that you can combine the first, the second and the third and add, um, you know, a first and a second or a first and a third and come up with some new kind of concepts. What I think we have missed during this uh, lockdown is that third place. It's not about work. I think we have proven to be actually as productive working from home as we have been from the office. But that isn't to say that we haven't missed those third place opportunities, the way of connecting uh, with each other. And I'm actually quite encouraged by that, too, in some senses that um, in its absence, we have still been productive. I think McKinsey said that, um, you know, productivity is is up as a result of lockdown. So it hasn't hindered us too much. Would it in the long run? I, I think there's a possibility. But equally, there are some really interesting new technologies coming out there as part of the digital workplace environment, which try to bring in those third place opportunities, those serendipitous conversations with folks that we would typically have meeting in a corridor or over a coffee in an office. But the cliche that uh, work is uh, is a verb and not a place, I think, ha has never been truer than it has been over the last six months. We have seen huge opportunity and growth that has come through this uh, lockdown. We have seen amazing transformation, uh, I think, an, an acceleration of digital transformation over these last six months, which has not come at the cost of productivity. So I'm, um, I'm encouraged by the growth that we have seen. I've encouraged by the way that we have all worked together. And I see huge opportunities in developing new technologies that bring about this third place. But ultimately, I think home has been a revelation for most employees in terms of their commute, their flexibility, and indeed in terms of their productivity. Lisa. Thanks, Jonathan. Really interesting to hear both of your sides. Thank you. I think you know both of you have got really valid points, and I'm someone who's worked uh, virtually in some form or way for the last ten years. One thing that I'm chewing a lot over at the moment is though is this concept of fairness and whether actually you know, we know a lot of our community, not a lot of our readers, their organisations are still really in a state of flux as to what's that going to look like. Are they going to be wholly virtual, partially virtual, remote? You know. Do you do either of you have any view in terms of uh, whether there's indicators that perhaps give us cues to say actually yes this organisation is needs to be a, a virtual a virtual one or a, is it should it be in person? Do you see any trends or sort of indicators that suggest that some organisations or types of roles are better suited to one or the other? I think that I mean on that 
<clears throat> I mean, there's lots of kind of evidence. I mean, there's lots of contradictory evidence as well. This is quite a emotive subject. Um, but there is things emerging which says that, um, you know, working from home traditionally, if you like, has been a bit of a privilege uh, if you are a member of the kind of white, white collar kind of class, if you like, more managerial role. Um, to a large degree, you've always been autonomous. You know, you pretty much had to manage yourselves. Um, and I think that some of that is kind of breaking down because obviously the, the shift from COVID has meant that many other roles have automatically shifted to the home. So I think there's something interesting going on there. There's no longer an exclusive of, if you like, the more privileged uh, managerial sort of status that you could do that. So I think that's interesting. Um, I'm not entirely convinced how long it can remain, though, um, because I think that the number of problems here, it's kind of coming back to what Jonathan said, I think that, yeah, working from home has a short term real sort of benefit. There's no question. As I said earlier, you can kind of get away from the workplace. You don't have to commute. Uh, perhaps away from people you didn't quite like, you know, that's that's fair enough. Uh, <laughs> but I think that the opposite is also very, very difficult. We need to remember that, um, that, you know, homework is also representative of a very difficult breakdown of the public private. Um, because, of course, you know, parents have had real difficulty in schooling kids at the same time as sharing their kitchen table with their partner and so on. And I think those those relationships have become obviously much more strained as a consequence. But equally, because uh, much home life in terms of infrastructure has never been built for the office, it's never been built to do serious work. And I think a lot of people are going to struggle with that in the more than medium long term. And I think further from that is also the question of uh, productivity. Because as we know, productivity has been historically low for many, many years. And actually, regardless of large scale technology investment as well, it's been low levels lower than the 2007 before recession uh, in terms of productivity levels. And that's even with considerable uh, workplace digital tool investment. There's something else going on there. And I think that, yes, we are going to see a short term increase in productivity because, of course, people got more space to do what they needed to do and they, of course, take their work seriously. But of course, what happens is, is that the unproductive workplace follows you home. So, of course, uh, lots of people are saying I'm working longer hours. I work on the weekend. My boss does not stop emailing me. Could you please stop? Could you please get off Slack and all the rest of it? And it doesn't stop. So unfortunately, the bad, the same bad culture will follow you no matter where you are. And I think that that's a difficult thing to, to resolve. And I think that, you know, when it comes to productivity, it's equally, especially in the service sector, in the knowledge-based sector or roles, it's not something you can necessarily look at on a per individual basis. It's rather how the entire business is organized to, to do what it does, to deliver what it, what it needs to. And I think that it's not that I want to argue that we need to all be in the office and have a big argument about how we raise our game. But I think that it doesn't make things easier when we're not all necessarily thinking in the same way. And I don't think that it seems odd to say, but I don't think technology instantaneously can make the productivity problem easier. Because I think it's much more than that. It's a cultural problem. It's a leadership problem. 
uh, and it is about infrastructure too. So I think that I guess what I'm saying is, you know, we need to be quite nuanced in terms of how we understand some of these debates. Um, so I think, you yeah. know, individuals will be happier in the short term, yes, but I think that in the longer term, uh, is, is the jury's out for me um, because I think the quality of what we can do, um, you know, is influenced by various things. And I think the idea of social spaces is a very good one, but I think that those social spaces should be in an organised form as well, which is traditionally what you call the workplace. Yeah, interesting points there from Martin. What are your thoughts on the role of culture and leadership in all of this? Uh, Martin, yeah, I, well expressed, and I don't think I'm going to be um, contradicting a lot of what you have said. I, my my build points, if anything, are these: we have got cultures inside organisations that have taken years, decades to build up, and those cultures have been thrown against uh, a particularly acute situation of uh, the the home worker. Um, being distributed from the office in a way that we were not expecting. And I think there are some natural friction points that come from that. And one of them, I think you've you expressed beautifully that that challenge of where the work day and the the um the private day uh, end and start. So you know I know um from the work that I've done with many clients, as I'm sure you have, that this is an ongoing frustration when I'm working at home. When does the working day end? When is my boss allowed to contact me? When are they not able to contact me? What is the culture of response that comes from that? And as I said, I think these are natural friction points that come from a culture that's been long established inside an organisation, plays against an acute work situation that we have in remote working. I am fascinated by some of the diversity challenges, frankly, that working at home has brought about. Um, and, and, you know, you talked of the privilege potentially of having um, the right technology maybe to be able to do your job. But there are some really interesting haves and have nots in this um, move to home, which I think we need to be very, very um, aware of. So, you know, the first of those for me, I think, is that Many of us have had the luxury of, of dedicated home office space. And I speak to you today from my home office. And as I said, this has been my home office for some 20 years. That's um, a absolute privilege to be able to do that. So for me, the lockdown was of almost no consequence in the way that I worked. But for others who are maybe don't have the privilege of even a spare room of any kind. We know that folks have been working off beds. They have been working off their kitchen tables. And often they have been doing that with a partner trying to do the same thing. And so, you know, that is an obvious digital divide just simply around the space that somebody has to be able to to operate. And I think that that's going to be something that we need to be mindful of. You know, are we as businesses unfairly prejudicing those who do have the luxury of office space plays those who, who don't. Mm -hmm. There's another one which is around just equipment, let alone space. And again, I, I, I speak as someone who has had this in my DNA. It's my habit to, to work from home. So I have a good microphone that's here. I've got a big light right above my head to make sure that you can see as much beauty in my face as you possibly can. But I also have big screens, two screens, and all of this means that my collaborative experience on Teams is as rich as it can. And in I hope uh, my colleagues also 
get the very best out of this situation as possible. But if you don't have a good desk and a good chair and a good light and a good microphone and a good camera, you are again at another massive disadvantage. And the third is, is Wi-Fi. Um, we've all seen that uh, Maslow hierarchy of needs of, of food and oxygen and culture, and or, yeah, you know the triangle we're talking about. And, and some quip uh, probably five or 10 years ago added Wi-Fi on there. You know, it's not a quip anymore, is it? I mean, it's genuine. If you've got Wi-Fi, thou can't work. You don't have Wi-Fi. You cannot work in this new environment. If your Wi-Fi is just a little bit weaker than somebody else's, you will not be able to participate. And I'm exceptionally worried about what that means for collaboration, for engagement, for retention, for all sorts of other elements. So, you know, as I said, I, I think... There are always divides in the workplace, right? There are those who spend five days a week with their boss and have the opportunity of that relationship. And let's be clear uh, the perks that potentially come from that. But this has highlighted new digital divides. And I'm, I'm really interested in how businesses will do what they can do to smooth those out. It would not surprise me at all to see businesses um, actively invest in home employees, Wi-Fi, desks, chairs, equipment, to make sure that we are leveling the playing field as much as we possibly can. So culturally, yes, I, I think the friction points here are, are crudely described, I think, as decades of culture plays an acute working place situation, but also um, the, the challenges and divides that potentially come from this home working, I think, are are very real and need to be addressed. I hope yeah. that helps. So. Really have. And it is, this is something that we know we've been chewing over quite a lot of the last few weeks. And I am too genuinely concerned about over a potential divide between those who have equipment and those who have. You've got two screens. I've got my laptop on a stand, for example. Thankfully, I've got good Wi-Fi. But you know, is that enough? And how are we going to demonstrate our, you know, when you've got high performing colleagues, but they're limited with the technology that they've got access to? I, the, I guess the tricky bit is that, you know, this is all very nice and hypothetical. We're saying, well, you know, organisations and businesses need to invest in the technology and spend the time. But but actually, where does it sit? I mean, does it then, are we, is it then HR or is it facilities? Is it IT? Is it health and safety? Is it communications? You know, at what point do businesses need to start taking, you know, A, perhaps make a decision about what the future is going to look like, and then B, take responsibility for making that work as fairly and as equally as possible. So let, yeah. me, let me just um, give thoughts on that and a little bit more about what um, Jonathan said. You know, I think we've got to remember, you know, COVID has meant for businesses to uh, uh, somewhat kind of carve out a strategy out of a, an accident, a, you know, a kind of pragmatic situation. Now, I might sort of sound a bit too callous for this, but I think they are equally somewhat being slightly um, kind of COVID virtue, virtue signaling, if you like, um, around this as well, because in one respect, I understand it completely, because businesses are really desperate right now to stay afloat. So working from home has allowed them to save masses of money that would have just been burnt. Um, and, you know, it's completely understandable, it's a pragmatic decision to make. Um, you know, hopefully they can negotiate less rents or no rents, you know, tear down unneeded office spaces. A lot of those spaces were full of bloat. That's absolutely true. 
Um, and as we know, a lot of people found them quite hard to work in. But I think that, you know, we've got to be careful that we're not sort of, or businesses are not sort of uh, uh, kind of then moving into a kind of a long-term strategy with this pragmatism, because I don't think I don't think a lot of businesses are really thinking it through, to be quite frank. So yes, they will supply people with laptops, um, but I don't think they really understood the consequences of this in a more longer term reaching sense. So the guy, uh, the CEO from uh, uh, Next was in the mail today saying, um, you know, have we really thought through what this means in terms of culture and so on in the long term? And I, I, I'm quite shocked that so few business leaders seem to be doing this. And one example, one other business leader as a rarity in my opinion, was um, a guy from PwC, I've forgotten his name, but he said, well, basically, how are we going to train the next generation uh, of, of uh, uh, employees, younger employees, if you will, um, if we can no longer mentor and train and guide them um, sitting next to one another? Um, I think it's very, very difficult. Um, I just feel that lots of interesting scenarios are going to throw themselves up, but we haven't really considered um, and we'll react and we'll deal with them, but that's not, in my mind, uh, uh, you know, strategy that we're all claiming we're good at. Mm. Just to jump in there, and JP, I'll come to you in a second. Mm. Are, are, are we therefore saying that we should, or are you therefore saying, Martin, in this instance, that we should not be seeking to make those sorts of changes then, you know? And, you know, we've we've had law firms, Slater and Gordon, we've got Google, we've got BP, all these firms have publicly, publicly come out now and say that they're changing the way that they're going to be working, closing offices. Are they being negligent in how they're, they're why they're doing this or? I think it's, you know, I just say, it's not negligence at all, but it's been absolutely pragmatic. It's the only thing they can do to, you know, necessarily keep themselves going or you know, in the case of big tech companies like Google and Facebook, they've already got the infrastructure in place. That is their culture. And I think it's, you know, it's no surprise that so many technology companies, not to say there's others not doing it, can quite easily switch. That is very ingrained into how they work. But I think for others, it's a very, very hard task to kind of keep it going because culturally, managerially, they're not prepared for it. Yeah. Um, and it's just one more thing I want to add to this. I mean, is that where it goes wrong, I think where they're not culturally cut out for it for the time being, in fact, they can also do this anyway, and I think there's other evidence, is that they start to overplay technology in actually paradoxically uh, removing people's autonomy. Um, so therefore we see a rise in surveillance culture and uh, the continue, continual sort of measurement and KPIs and so on of what people do. Which I think is actually a sign of quite a risk-averse approach to leadership and management. But that's unfortunately what I think technology is going to going to become for a lot of people mm. is that because we don't culturally really trust you, and certainly not used to you working away from me, uh, you know, at home. Um, what do we do about it? Well, we're mm. going to use technology. Um, so I think there's a really interesting moment there. I think we're going to start seeing more of. I'll um, I'll, I'll take your lead on that one. It, it's an interesting space, isn't it? But you know. We all ought to be judged um, at a performance level on our outputs and our outcomes. But so often in management, we are also judged on the minutiae of the process and the attitude and the the things that one does. And, you know, candidly, the, the role of, of middle management has often felt 
that it should be somehow overseeing, looking over your shoulder and making sure that you're doing things the right way, whatever the right way actually means, with less focus on what it is you're actually delivering and the changes that you're trying to make to the job, to the function, to the company in, in which you operate. And I imagine there are a lot of middle management, low to middle management who, you know, align managers who have been a little bereft um, over the course of the last six months because they've not had the opportunity of looking over your shoulder and seeing if you are looking at Facebook or whether you're working on your spreadsheet because they can't, they're, no, they're nowhere physically close to you. And I suspect, regret, but I suspect you're right, that there will be some some tendency to surveillance, digital surveillance, as a result of that. And, and we are all aware, because we also see some of this ourselves, of some brilliant tools inside Office 365 and others that give you the insights as to how you're working. And let's not kid ourselves, they will also give insights to management about how you are working. But to me, this is an old-fashioned management challenge, not a technology challenge. This is you know, it's the I'm going to look at what you're doing. I'm going to surveillance, uh, surveil what you do rather than concern myself over the outputs and, and outcomes. But I wanted to pick up on your first point, if that's all right as well, Martin, because I think this is a really interesting one. You know, tactically, we know businesses have moved to home working as a tactic. They've had no choice. It's a pragmatic move. There it is. The question is, should this also be part of the long-term strategy for an organization? Should they say, we've moved out and we're staying out? Is That's the end of the office. Um, I personally am quite comfortable with that. I do think that some of those working practices that we have enjoyed and valued in an office, some of those more social things, I think they can be replicated in a home working stroke digital manner, but it takes effort and it takes some some focus. But actually, where I, I come full circle, and this is where I think businesses are going to need to invest, is around the employee experience. Now, there's a, a, a brilliant thinker in this space by the name of Jacob Morgan. And to paraphrase many, many books and many, many podcasts, he describes the employee experience as being a combination of three things. Those being the, the physical environment in which somebody works, the cultural environment in which somebody works, and the technology environment in which somebody works. And if we reflect on those three things when you are in a quote unquote normal work environment, whatever that once meant, the, the idea that you're in an office, you have the office to contribute to that experience, you have the culture defined often by the people in which you work and the way that they work, and you have the technology. And so we fast forward to home working and potentially the long term strategy to your point, Martin, of, of uh, you know evacuating from the offices full time. Then what is the employee experience? Well, we've lost the physical angle of that now, potentially. We are left with much of the experience of being an employee defined very much by the 13, 15 inch, 27 inch iMac monitor, whatever it is in front of you. That is your gateway into an organization. And that is honestly where I do worry, because if your experience or rather if the employee experience is defined by your corporate intranet or the way that your digital workplace works or how your email signatures look or the backgrounds that come up on your screen, which for many is the only exposure they're now getting 
to the company in which they work, well, woe betide us because those things are pretty damn dreadful most of the time. So I am a little concerned by that. But I think it's a it's a watch out call to say tactically we are where we are. But if strategically you're now going to make this move, we now need to invest in the digital angle of the employee experience, because for many, it might be the only employee experience that you get. Um, you know, Jonathan's right that at least in the short term, medium term, perhaps it's going to be what everyone has to experience work the workplace is your screen and that's about it mm-hmm. of course as i said earlier great i can go out in the sunshine walk my dog have a cycle ride go to my local cafe and some visit some human beings that's that's no bad thing but i think that i guess my point is is that you know i'm not trying to overplay the workplace i mean it can be an office cupboard room cupboard rather i don't really care i think that what i'm you know, concerned about is that we don't overplay the remoteness angle and make a kind of a virtue out of what we have and that's all we can kind of deal with. Because I think that, you know, when it comes to ideas, when it comes to knowledge and creativity, not that this is exclusive to everybody, of course, but those kinds of roles, if you will, and interactions, I think really do deserve um, some real world person by person interaction. Because One of the reasons is, and this is about leadership as well, and to make sense of what they're telling you, is because it's really the best way to put each other under pressure. And also because new things emerge when you are literally in the same room with the same people. We've we've all had those experiences where, you know, we're in an office, a meeting, and then someone has to dial in, and then everyone walks away after the meeting. They said, that was a great meeting. And then the guy dialed in and said, well, okay, was it? I, I didn't catch all of it, and I got really annoyed and all the rest of it and frustrated. We don't want those moments. But that's not to say we should always say that everyone must be in the office. You know, I'm, I'm kind of open to the idea of blended working. But I think that as long as out of all this, we don't forget the primacy of bringing people together. Uh, how often that is, that's a, that's a different question. But I think that there is so much richness, serendipity, nuance, and even putting people under pressure, making more responsible for their ideas, are very difficult when I can just turn my screen off and um, and go do something else. You know, we've all been on the Zoom meeting. Unfortunately, I do it quite a lot. You, you're all the Teams meeting. You're actually playing with your phone. You're checking your email. I'm supposed to be listening to the Zoom call or Teams call. I'm not that engaged. And I think that you know we don't want to kind of perpetuate that culture. I think unless we can try and bring people together. I would like to see businesses more so than ever try and bring people together. Because yeah. um, I think it's a sense of purpose and even perhaps values, a bit of a moral duty there, given the state of the economy. I think that's quite an interesting question. Mm. You know, and I think that companies have struggled to know what they do with themselves. Um, I'm surprised that not many have sort of come out and said, well, actually, this is a brilliant opportunity for us to kind of rebuild our, our local cities or communities that mm. seem to be completely dead, you know. Um, so, yeah. just to jump on one point there, if I may, I think yeah, yeah. though they, we run the risk by having that approach to try and get people together. And Martin, you said about Zoom calls or Teams calls that we've zoned out on, but how many face-to-face meetings do, do would you have in a business? And actually. Yeah. What, what you're spending an hour sitting down discussing, you probably could have solved oh. in 10 minutes. So oh. I, I think there's a real risk here that we're trying to think about the workplace as it used to be. Mm-hmm. And well, actually- let, 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 me, 
Sorry, sure. I, I, it's a brilliant point. I think Jonathan said the same thing earlier. That the problem is management, right? And I'm absolutely on board with that. Um, because absolutely, that's why people escaped, because I don't have to put up these incessant meetings, which are just meaningless. And I think that that, that must be our target, is a risk-averse culture. You know, open plan offices, the incessant need to collaborate and to share your desk. I mean, Christ, no wonder people aren't productive because I can't get anything done. But that's not to say we can't build better spaces in the old-fashioned way, you had your own door in a private room or whatever. Hey, what about that, you know? Um, but then, but, uh, yeah. for me, that begs the question, does it matter if you're at home or in four walls in an office space? Jonathan, I can see you itching yeah, to come in here. Yeah, you know, I, I was just, I was... Um, I was romanticizing as you were, Martin. I'm sure romanticizing is the right word about the the office. Do you remember the office? Do you remember how we all love to get together and sit in a meeting room and work? Because you know what? My memory of that, which was obviously, you know, only seven months ago or thereabouts, is that offices are just full of meeting rooms and it's meeting after dull ass meeting and do i zone out in physical meetings oh my word yes and and the number of times you rock up to a meeting and everyone sits around the table and the first thing they do is open their laptop screen and the only thing they're focusing on is their facebook on the screen and we all know that so i want to escape from this idea of romanticizing what the office was like because for many of us and even the most pragmatic would possibly agree with me, it really was a broken model for work. It's one that's born of, I don't know, Victorian schools all sitting in a line and listening to the head teacher talk. It, it, I, enough, it's gone. But yeah. um, I, do, I do think that it does offer another opportunity, which is to define what the office really should be about. And for me, um, I can't see a point I, I can't see the point genuinely of returning to the old office as it was, but that might be a rather ex extreme view on the spectrum of this. But it might be that what we need to do is to make uh, an office a much more rich human experience. So, you know, take away the meeting rooms and let's make sure that what this really is left with is the opportunity to, to your point, Martin, to, to network, to socialise, to gather together, to, to, to meet and exchange ideas, not even necessarily around the context of a given topic. You know, I, it could well be that we have um, our offices ultimately as kind of um, uh, hyper amplified um, brand experiences so that when people come to an office they feel like they they can get excited about who it is that they actually work for and get to meet some people and they take away the buzz of that experience and then go back to their team's Zoom desk and uh, the solitude of work. Uh, honestly, I, I don't want a closed um, office uh, whether I can shut the door in a in a in a grey building somewhere in central London. Why? I could do that here. <laughs> and I've just saved myself a ridiculous amount of time and a ridiculous amount of money. So I, I think we we have an opportunity to I frankly I have to think we have an opportunity now to re revisit and to renew our idea of what the office is. And this is a therefore a really exciting time um for, for businesses right now. Can I quickly come back on that? You've got the last word here, Martin. Well, I'll let John go go on, go no, for no, no, it. Have a word after me. <laughs> I totally agree with everything you're saying, um, Jonathan. Um, but again, I think it points back to uh, a general, I would say, not across the board, but a kind of cultural risk aversion when it comes to 
how we run businesses, right? Because as you said earlier, productivity is in a real doldrum at the moment, right? Um, and it's a crisis because we're in a, a recession. Uh, how the hell are we going to grow our way out of it if productivity is so low? Now, the problem I have is that I don't see anywhere really any sense of ambition about how to do that um, apart from we're out of the office. Brilliant. That's great. Uh, you know, fine, let's make that work. But where is the ambition? Where is the investment? Where is the innovation that we know is needed to boost productivity? The investment in infrastructure and all sorts of working practices and technologies and so on. I don't see it. So, you know, I think that we have to kind of get this debate in perspective. Um, and I don't necessarily think being in or out of the office is really the, the, the solution to for example, the, the issue around productivity. Um, I actually feel that if you're not in person arguing these issues through, you know, some way it can make it more difficult. That's not to say you need to be in a great office building, of course, but at the same time, um, there are some serious challenges. And I think that sometimes we can sort of, uh, you know, uh, put the cart before the horse when it comes to uh, uh, an issue, a very serious issue around innovation and investment and productivity. Yeah, I think, uh, guys, I'm very conscious that we're coming up to time now, but this has been a really interesting debate and discussion, which I think we could continue with for another uh, for a good few a few hours, probably. I think from my perspective, what I'm hearing is that, there, you know, there's a case, obviously, there's clearly a case for for and the office and, and for working from home, but there's also a number of key factors that should determine the decision on which you're you're making that making that a choice first of all it's about having the right infrastructure in place whether it's technology whether it's training whether it's leadership management engagement and alignment you know people we need to have the right mechanisms in place in order to do either well the second thing for me I've taken away from this conversation today is that the increased focus on the employee experience whether you're in home or in the office we know things are changing so let's focus on what does that employee journey look like right from recruitment through to after they've left and throughout their life cycle with you and this, the the biggest one but the hardest one to to quantify in some ways is culture you know what 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 kind of environment do we want to create for our people what's our purpose as a business and how does that reflect how we behave and how we deliver great work so i think I would say from what I've heard from you guys, you know, if, if people are thinking about making the permanent shift to wholly virtual offices, be clear in why you're doing it, be clear in your communicating your purpose and have a plan for how you want people to think, feel and do when they're not with you together. So um, final top tip, guys, Martin, JP, I'm going to give you one one minute to say, and we're going to put you on the spot here. Um, there's one thing you're you'd encourage our audience to think about as that if while they're communicating, in your case, Martin, going back to the office, in your case, JP, working from home, what's it going to be? Give me one thing. Oh, God, on the spot. Um, <laughs> I think um, the one thing is, is, it's actually to try and get more out of your office environment yep. in terms of how you relate to people. And I guess from this conversation, it's very interesting, is actually not put up with a bad office environment. That would be my takeaway. 
you know, the sense of solidarity is really important. Um, but to kind of make sense of what's happening around you and how you work, um, you know, you, you should, yeah, you should demand a better working environment if that's at home, in the office or elsewhere. Definitely. Great. Thank you, Martin. JP, what's one thing we need to be thinking about? You know, we hear a lot about businesses taking this as an opportunity to save money. Martin, you made the point, you know, I'm going to close this office, close that office, and we're just going to have people working from home. I think what I would love people to take away is, is that this is a time to invest as well as a time to save and invest in the things which are going to make the difference long term. And my feeling there is that that's about investing in equipment so people can work from home effectively. That's about investing in the employee experience so that we can make sure that people remain engaged, connected uh, and have a positive feeling about their organisation. Um, invest in, in getting the right culture that supports a digital uh, distributed workforce. And I hope with those three things in play, we can address the point which Martin makes perfectly, which is around productivity. Um, because, you know, we still have a productivity challenge and we meet, must make sure that we are essentially as a collective delivering more bang for that particular buck. So I would say don't just focus on the, on the savings, let's invest. Great. Well, thank you so much. It's been a really interesting conversation. I hope everyone who's tuned into this has also enjoyed the debate. If you have very, you know, if you want to share your story with us or talk to us about how you've uh, been approaching the office versus working from home, please get in touch. It's community at simply-communicate.com. Um, otherwise, visit our website or get in touch. We'd love to hear from you. Thank you, everyone. <laughs>